0: Today's scripture is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 5b through 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares from you, for you. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Well, we continue our series in First Peter this morning by looking at what probably for most of you is a very familiar passage. If it's not familiar, it doesn't seem to be all that hard to track with, right? Pride is bad, humility is good, we should be more humble toward one another. We're all hungry, amen. Let's go eat. Right? But you know, there's more here. Deep down, we think we're not that proud, right? If we're honest, you know, the proud are those who are arrogant. The proud are those who are haughty. God's opposed to the proud, but that means the really, really proud, the boastful, the fools who say in their heart, there is no God. Those are the, those are the proud. But what if pride were more hidden? What if pride weren't so much self-exaltation as it were just simply self-preoccupation? And then there's verse 7. Peter in verse 7 says, like, sorry, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's not Peter just kind of going on to a new thought. Like he's talked about pride and humility and now he's going to kind of touch on anxiety before he jumps on to the rest of what he's saying, Th- those are all actually linked. And we don't often make that link between pride and humility and anxiety. Humble yourselves before the Lord by casting all your anxieties upon him. So, the sense of what Peter's saying is this God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties. Upon him. In other words, if you lack humility, check your anxieties. Or to put it another way, if you're anxious, check your pride. So, those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at anxiety, we're going to look at pride, and we're going to look at humility. First, the presence of anxiety, second, the hidden problem of pride. And then third, the grace that compels humility. The presence of anxiety, the hidden problem of pride, and then third, the grace that compels humility. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you as we we thank you every week for preserving your word for us. Down to this very day, you knew what we need to hear. You knew the truth that we would need to by your grace, appropriate into our lives. You knew the truth that we would need in order to be free. Lord, some of us are bound by the chains of anxiety. And we pray that as we look at this passage this morning, your spirit would be working so mightily in our hearts that we would see some of those bonds begin to loosen and break free. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So first the presence of anxiety. Why were these people anxious? It's important to ask that question. We we know that there are all kinds of reasons why we get anxious. We'll come to those in a minute, but Again, we want to look at God's Word and understand it in context, including the historical context. So why were they anxious? And if you remember from our study of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to people in Asia Minor, new Christians, a church that's maybe, you know, 20 years old, and they are beginning to experience the first wave of, of oppression, of persecution. People probably weren't getting killed yet. Nero isn't on the throne in Rome by the time, you know, at this time, it's coming within a couple of years, actually, of, of Peter writing First Peter. But there was beginning to be that low-level um, ostracization, uh, marginalization. Uh, 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 people being spoken poorly of. Peter addresses that throughout the letter. You can go back and read how Peter touches on those types of persecution that they were beginning to face. In other words, these weren't people that were just kind of, you know, doing great, just kind of high and mighty, everything was fine, they're coasting along, experiencing all kinds of success in their life, and therefore tempted to being proud. No, not at all. Actually, they're facing persecution. They're feeling burdens. Am I going to lose my job? I'm already losing business. People are no longer coming to me for the the work that I do or the wares that I provide because of the faith that I have. Am I going to be able to feed my kids? And these, these family members, let alone friends, but these family members who don't trust Jesus for their salvation and no longer talk to me, what about them what's gonna happen with those relationships there There was a great deal of anxiety why they were carrying burdens real burdens and so do we there are all kinds of reasons why we find ourselves anxious Uh, my wife loves Jane Austen films I, I love watching those as well in part because I'm reminded of the good old days when anxiety boiled down to the damsel in distress she twisted her ankle it's raining and so we're all anxious Because she might get sick and die. Oh, the good old days of just having to worry about getting wet in the rain, right? But yeah, it was real back then. People would get sick. They didn't have the kind of medical care that we have, and so that death was always a present burden that people carried. There was always that anxiety back then, And, and we find all kinds of reasons to be distracted from that. We have, oh man, we 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 know what's going on in the world. We see and hear about global terror and. And, and global warming, global climate change. We, we, we hear about these horrible things happening throughout the country and around the world. And, and we, we know the poverty that exists within our city. And we, and we just, you know, we read the paper and we, we hear about these horrible things that people in our own backyard experience. And then there's the anxiety that we have around our jobs. Where's the economy headed? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? And then there's concerns about our health. You know with more information and more medical technology becomes more reasons to be afraid and then of course there is that lingering reality of the fact that one day we will die and so we carry these burdens with us and we find ourselves anxious what do we do with that anxiety how is that anxiety perhaps a warning light to us of something that's going on beneath the hood of our hearts many of you are aware that uh, a week ago this past Friday I was in an accident I was rear-ended I'm fine nobody else was hurt I'm um, very thankful for that uh, so that car um, don't know it's in that great graveyard in the sky for cars that's where that car is um, I'm about to share an illustration about a check engine light and it hit me as I was as uh, I was walking in this morning I, I need to pull uh, Matt Guerin aside because I'm borrowing his car right now and I don't want him to think that everything I'm about to describe in terms of engines going wrong applies to his car like what does this guy do with my car all Right. so Matt it's all good this is just an illustration you've got to check engine light in your car if you weren't aware of that you should take a look when you leave here today it may be on and if it's on there's a problem because that's the function of a check engine light. If my check engine light comes on, one of the first things I do is look at the temperature gauge. Is the engine overheating? And if it is, well, there's some obvious reasons why it may be heating. You pop the hood, you take a look, is there oil in this vehicle? Because if not, then friction's building up with all these moving parts, and the engine gets hot, it's overheating. Or, Or maybe you check the coolant level. You know, maybe there's a leak, and the coolant's all, you know, on my driveway, and I just haven't noticed it yet. But what if the oil's fine, and the coolant level's fine, and the belts are all working, and the fans seem to be moving, and what if it's not something obvious? There's this little thing called a thermostat in your engine, and it can get actually locked in the closed position. And when it's locked in the closed position, coolant doesn't travel, and I could, if I hadn't told Matt Garen about this, he would be sweating right now. This is my car. When the, when the thermostat's closed, coolant doesn't travel throughout the engine. The, the check engine light comes on, the, the, the temperature gauge is pegged out, but the problem isn't obvious. Well, anxiety is the check engine light of your soul. When that light is blinking, there's something going on, and it may not be all that obvious. It may be that the problem is Pride. Now, in the words of uh, my Old Testament professor at Covenant Seminary, I don't want you to hear what I'm not he- saying, right? And I want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that every time you're feeling anxious, the problem is pride. We are fallen creatures. The fall affects every aspect of our being. There could be very real physiological or mental health issues that result in anxiety. Anxiety disorder is a real thing. So, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're anxious, the problem is just automatically pride. There are obvious things that should be checked, but it may be that that thing that isn't so obvious that you might not have thought about is actually the issue. The problem may actually be pride. So let's look secondly at the hidden problem of pride. How do we define pride? We tend to define pride as thinking too much of yourself, right? Seems like simple, basic definition. Pride is thinking too much of yourself. It's self-exaltation, I have to be the best. It's self-promotion, I have to be first. It's, it's self-justification, I'm right. It's self-comparison, I'm better. Pride, in the end, is thinking too much of yourself. I think a better definition... Is that pride is thinking of yourself too much. It's just thinking of yourself too much. That can be a more silent or hidden problem in the same way that a, a gas leak in your home can go undetected. That aspect of pride, simply thinking of yourself too much, well, that can go undetected as well. Jonathan Edwards says that pride is the most hidden secret. And deceitful of all sins. So, what does Peter envision here when he talks about pride? Again, thinking of that in the context, the historical context of what's going on behind the scenes here in 1 Peter. Pride, Peter's saying here, is linked to a refusal to relinquish anxieties. Pride is linked to a refusal to relinquish Anxieties, a refusal to cast your burdens on the Lord. I really think that Peter has in the background here Psalm 55 cast your burdens on the Lord. So pride is somehow linked to a refusal to relinquish anxieties, a refusal to cast your burdens upon the Lord, an insistence on holding on to things that we cannot, in fact, manage, a desire to maintain control. That's actually pride. You see an example of it uh, by way of contrast in the Old Testament in the book of Ezra. Ezra is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to be teaching to the exiles who had returned in this temple that was being rebuilt. He's on his way. He's leaving Babylonia. King Artaxerxes has given him a lot of resources. He's given him money. He's given his food so he can have a safe journey back to Jerusalem. And Ezra knew that he couldn't rely on Artaxerxes alone, that he couldn't rely on himself and his own ability. He knew he needed to rely on the Lord. And so in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, Ezra calls for a fast. This is what the passage says. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Now, what can we draw from that? Reliance on God is humility. Flipping it around, self-reliance, that's pride. So are you anxious this morning? Is the check engine light on in your soul? Is the problem the hidden pride of self-reliance? So ask yourself, is there some burden in my life right now that I'm refusing to cast upon the Lord? Is there something that I'm carrying that I, that I won't hand over to Him, that I, that I don't feel like I can hand over to Him? I mean, think about the stories that, that were told from childhood, right? Work the problem. Gut it out. Just do it. Stay cool, under pressure. And above all, maintain control. But what if you can't? When you come to that point, you tend to look to your circumstances outside of you. Those circumstances need to change. Those those people, they're the problem. But if anxiety is in your life and that check engine light is going off in your soul, then you, you need to ask the question... Perhaps the problem is within me. Perhaps the problem is this hidden pride that is finding expression in a desire to maintain control rather than relinquish and cast these burdens on the Lord. And when you see that, then you're ready for, third, the grace that compels humility. The grace that compels humility. What is humility? C.S. Lewis famously said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Very simple. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Like if I'm not going to be proud, then I have to put myself down. If it's not self-exaltation, then the answer is self-denigration. And that's not the truth at all. Self-denigration is actually a form of pride. It's just pride turned in on itself. Lewis gets it right. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Now, when Peter wrote, there was not actually a word in classical Greek for humility. In the time of Christ, that that concept didn't even exist. It it was far from a virtue. They didn't have a word from it. My, My guess is, you know, the the classical Greek, the the advanced culture that was Greek culture at the time of Jesus, they didn't have a word for this idea of humility. They just had a a sound. Ugh. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he models humility. And this new word exists within Koine Greek, between biblical Greek, that doesn't exist in classical Greek, this word humility. Christ defined humility. In his very life he brought it if you will into existence in that culture so that's what it is how does it grow well again Peter tells us back here in this passage verse 7 casting all your anxieties on him how do we humble ourselves how does humility grow within our lives it is as we cast all our anxieties on God Dick Lucas said that humility is not a native plant to the soil of the human heart. I love that picture. Humility is not a native plant to the soil of the human heart. It has to be planted there, it has to be watered, and it has to be weeded in order to grow. Humility is planted there by the Spirit of Christ. You know, what wasn't normal in classical Greek culture is not native to us either. And so... Biblical humility Christ's humility has to be planted in us by Christ's Spirit Upon conversion that seed is planted there and then it has to be watered It's watered through the Word of God, but then it has to be weeded as well And that makes total sense if you think about the parable of the sower Jesus gave that parable in Matthew chapter 13 He talked about the Word of God as the seed being sown and one of the places where the seed was sown was among the thorns The seed was choked out and it didn't grow. And later in the chapter when the disciples said, Jesus, you're going to have to explain this to us. We just did not get it. Jesus said, listen, the seed that was sown among the thorns, those are the cares of the world. Those are the burdens that we carry. Those are the anxieties of everyday life. Those weeds have to be pulled in order for humility to grow. So that's what humility is, that's how it grows, but let's look next at the grace that compels it. Because we need help. It's one thing to recognize, okay, I need to cast all my anxieties on the Lord, and, and as I do that, I will grow in humility, but we need help from God in order for that to take place. And Peter points us to it right here in this passage. So verses six and seven, let's take a look there. Verse six, Humble yourselves, therefore, and then here's the first thing, under the mighty hand of God. That is not a threat. If you've read this as a threat your entire life, I am so happy to be be able to tell you, this is not Peter threatening you with the mighty hand of God. This is a reminder. It's a glorious reminder. When God's people were delivered out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus, you go back and read uh, Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy, and you're going to read about the fact that God led them out by his mighty hand. He led them through the wilderness by his mighty hand. The people of God pitched their tents under his mighty hand. This is good news. Humble yourselves, Under the mighty hand of God. God's power is available to you. You have these burdens that you're carrying. You're trying to to make it through the wilderness that is this life. And Peter is saying, listen, cast your burdens on the Lord. Why? First reason, back here in verse 6, his power is available to you. His mighty hand is for you. But Peter goes on and he says, also in verse 6, his purpose for you will unfold at the proper time. So again, take a look. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Isn't it good to know that God's purpose for your life, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, is that you ultimately be exalted. Peter began this letter with that. Go back and look at the first sentence in the Greek the first 12 verses in 1 Peter, one sentence in the Greek, how Peter talks there about this marvelous plan that God has for those who have been born again to this living hope. And what Peter says here, second reason for you to be compelled by God's grace to cast your burdens on the Lord is because God's purpose for you will unfold at the proper time. His purpose to exalt you, his purpose to lift you up, his purpose to restore you to a place of usefulness. Peter understood that. You remember the story of Peter. Peter, one of the sons of thunder. (laughs) Peter, who said to Jesus, you know what? All these guys around here, I mean, just take a look. They're probably going to forsake you. I'll never forsake you, Jesus, not me. Oh, Jesus, don't, don't wash me. And then what happens? Peter denies Jesus. I, that, that scene of, of Jesus after the third rooster crowed, locking eyes with Peter, and Peter's shame as he went out weeping bitterly. But then there's that glorious scene at the end of John's gospel where Peter's restored. Three times Peter had denied Jesus, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Don't forget the lambs. And Peter's restored. He, he had been humbled because of his sin, and at just the right time in his life, he was restored and lifted up to a place of usefulness. Now, you may think in your life right now, I have made such a mess of it. I've made a mess of everything. There's no way I could ever be exalted by God in the sense of being restored to a relationship with him and then actually being used by him to make a difference in, in, in this world and my little part of the world in some way. And Peter would say, don't believe that lie. Just take a look at me. And no matter what may happen in this earthly life of ours, there is this promise. We will be lifted up in the end we will be exalted to the right hand of God, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will be restored in the most glorious of ways. So God's power is available to you. God's purpose will unfold at the proper time. And then verse 7, God's presence is an expression of his care for you. Take a look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you for you you know philippians 4 6 probably quoted to me be anxious for nothing but casting all your anxieties upon the lord be anxious for nothing but in in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving present your request to god be anxious for nothing we forget that at the end of verse 5 it says the lord is at hand the lord is near <laughs> the lord is present with you Therefore, Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. And Peter here in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, he cares for you. He cares for you. God's power is available to you in your trials. God's purpose through it all will be fulfilled. God is present with you and he cares for you. The result, we see it in the passage, an internal disposition of humility that's wrought by grace and an external expression in community. Look back halfway through verse 5, the passage we started with. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. When you slow down long enough to notice things, you see something here, I hope. Clothe yourselves, all of you, With humility toward one another. It's like there's this repetition. I'm talking to all of you, and I want all of you to put on this garment that is humility toward one another. This has to be a community characteristic. Why? Self-preoccupation disintegrates community. Humility restores it. That word, clothe yourself, is actually a word that was used in the Greek to describe the, the putting on of the apron of a slave. It was reserved for that. Uh, the, uh, the menial servant in the household would clothe himself with this word when he put on the, the apron. Or you might say, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, John chapter 13, when Jesus in John 13 rose up from supper... And he took a towel, and he wrapped it around himself. And he picked up a basin, and he washed his disciples' feet. Humility wasn't just a word that was introduced to the world. It was a person that broke into the world and took up the garb of the servant who wrapped himself with the towel, who took the, the tool that is found in humility's hands, a basin, and served. And when this kind of humility exists in community, we give to the world a picture of the one who embodies humility. And now we're back full circle to that historical context. The purpose of the church in the midst of a culture that is increasingly opposed to Christianity and increasingly marginalizing Christians is not to fight back with all of our power. It's to fight hard that our community be a witness to the king. There's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom for which we pray. There is a king who himself embodies what it means to be humble. Humble. And we are to be a community of the king who put on the same garb that he put on in order to show humility to one another and in so doing, give a picture to the watching world of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. And we ask that by your spirit, you would take the truths of this passage and anything true that I've said and seal it to our hearts. Oh God, would you help us to be people who are so overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus didn't wrap a towel around himself to set us only an example, but actually as a picture of what he did to humble himself to the point of obedience, to the point of death, and death on the cross. So we pray, oh God, that you would lift up the eyes of our heart, Lord, that for those of us who are cast down because of our anxiety, for those of us who are too centered on ourselves and our pride, that we would be lifted up to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we're called to serve, and in whose name we pray. Amen.